This church is that way. We're doing a little different today. Heart stopped for a minute. I'm like, I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> Gonna have to wing it. Uh, last night we had a, um, a wedding here. Caroline Wall and, and Brandon Peace got married. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was, it's, I'm shocked Mike's here. I, I, I got to, it was great. Like when, when, when I first started eight years ago, Caroline was a junior in high school and I got to play in her wedding. So that was like, God, so good. It was crazy. Um, but Abby and I were joking. We were sitting at this table with a bunch of like 23, 24 year olds. And, uh, and Abby turns to us, remember when we were like in our early 20s, mid 20s, and how we used to wonder like why old people left weddings so early? <laughs> and like at one point I like look at my, I'm like, oh man, I'm getting real tired. I've got to be at least 11, 9.30, okay. <laughs> so excuse the yawns, but uh, we'll get through. <laughs> Has anyone ever been on a fast before? Just a curiosity. Anyone ever done a fast Okay, yeah, fasting's a, a powerful spiritual discipline, you know, a voluntary action that we deny ourselves something, uh, you know, in our daily lives to experience this powerful spiritual movement. And uh, I think most of the times when we think of fasting, we think of, uh, you know, going without food, uh, or we might think of Lent, you know, we choose to go without a luxury in our lives that we're used to, uh, for, to draw closer uh, to Christ and, and, and to be closer to God. And aside from giving things up for Lent, which, if I were to be totally honest, I think a large majority of my life, I never really understood why I was giving stuff up for Lent. It was just kind of like, well, it's February and March, and I need to give up pop in the, this time because that's what everyone, to be a good Christian, I got to do this. Uh, but I decided I needed to go. I, I, I did a, a fast about six months, maybe like a year or so ago. It was my first fast uh, because I was really struggling with hearing God's voice, and I just I felt like I really needed some discernment, and I kind of just was spinning my tires spiritually, and I needed something to break through. Like, I desperately needed a breakthrough. And uh, throughout my, my routine of uh, devotions throughout my week, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. And uh, so I, I had been praying. I'm like, I'm just, I need something. I don't know what I need, but I need something. This is getting, you know, to be really frustrating. I felt like just I was being pulled in 300 different directions. I couldn't tell which voice was what, and I just needed to hear God's voice. So... I, I got my truck. I, I dropped Micah off at preschool. It was a good drop-off. Everything was fine. So, uh, and, and I got my phone out, played my podcast, and wouldn't you know it, the name of the sermon is called When You Need a Breakthrough. Maybe God's trying to say something to me here. So I listened to the podcast, and, and, and the pastor is talking about how if you really need to turn up the volume of God in your life, if you really need to turn that dial up, Fasting is this, you know, powerful way to do this. And I thought, okay, let's do a fast. I don't know how we're going to do this. The only thing I'm familiar with is my obligatory Lenten fast. And then Jesus went off into the woods for 40 days and didn't eat and prayed. And I'm pretty sure my wife would be really upset if I disappeared in the woods for 40 days. So what do we do? Uh, headed off to Google, did some research, found some good stuff. And uh, it seemed like most people had suggested, look, take it slow, just do it like at a day at a time. There's, don't, don't try like a five-day fast for your first day kind of thing. So, so I prayed about it, and, and I said, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to do this for 24 hours. Uh, just have my morning coffee and then nothing but water for the rest of the day. And I prayed. I laid it in God's hands. I was like, God, I just I need to hear your voice. I'm just looking for a breakthrough. I thank you for your discernment. Let's do this. And, and it started right there. 
And I woke up the next day, and I felt really good. I'm not normally a, a breakfast eater, so that was no big deal. I had coffee, came here to church, came into, came into to, to my office. Everything was going good until about noon, when that familiar rumble hit my stomach. And it was there that I discovered the power of a fast. Because, like, instead of just running off and grabbing a bag of chips or calling Jimmy John's or getting lunch or something, I turned to God in prayer. And I just, like, really quickly was like, Father, thank you for the, the discernment you're going to give me. Thank you for speaking my life. And just kind of all throughout the day, every time I felt this, this hunger, I just kept praying. And it was working, too. Like, I was really, like, getting some spiritual momentum going here and just getting really, really excited. So I made it the whole 24 hours. And, and uh, I, I, that night, I waited for everyone to go to bed because I, I had this, like, real expectant prayer. You know, I was really excited to pray that night. And... and and, and everyone's asleep, it's like midnight, and I go to God, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be, I, I think the house is going to shake with the Holy Spirit kind of thing, you know, I'm expecting Jesus to be like, boom, knock down the front door kind of thing, I'm like, yes. And I went into prayer, and do you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, as we continue our sermon series uh, with the prodigal son in, in the prodigal God series written by Timothy Keller, it's moments like that that I realize how capable of an older brother I am, because, uh, that I'm able to be. Because this was my response to that silence. What the heck, God? Where are you at? I did my part, and you didn't bother to show up. Like, I, I did. I, the, I had a sermon. I prayed. I need a breakthrough. The next day, there is a podcast called When You Need a Breakthrough, and it talks about fasting. If that's not his voice, I don't know what is. And, and, and I did this thing, and he didn't show up. And I was, like, mad, and I was upset. And, like, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. I, 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 honestly, I honestly felt like God owed me. Like, I did my part. And, and he just didn't come through. Now, hindsight, you know, I actually eventually did get, you know, my discernment, get my leading, and it was all, all in his timing, and maybe that was the point of this whole thing, but uh, maybe it was just for this sermon analogy, too. I don't know. It's like, thanks. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, with a series, I love the prodigal son parable in, in Luke. It's, it's this, those set of three sermons might be my favorite bit of, of scripture in, in, in the whole Bible. And, uh, you know, it seems like with this, with Timothy Keller's, if you've been in, in your small groups, it seems like we've really been paying a lot of attention to the older brother throughout this whole time. And I always wondered, I've kind of been wondering why that was, because every time I've dove into this, this scripture, I've always kind of, it's so easy to just get fixated on the younger brother. We actually, in our middle school uh, Bible study, one of the kids was like, I didn't even realize there was an older brother. It's just kind of like a footnote at the end of the story. We just, it's, it's, it's almost too easy to relate with the younger brother. The, it's obvious, you know, the sin is right there. It's blatant. It's, 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 you know, rebellion. And a lot of us have been there. Many of us can easily relate with that. I, I ran off. I did my younger son thing. I went to a, a college 500 miles away because it was 500 miles away. <laughs> And I was looking to start new, start fresh, man, leave everything, including my faith, behind me. And there was things that I wish I could erase and, and, and you know, not have said, not have done. I had, I had my younger brother experience. A lot of us have had that. And, uh, you know, the thing is, like, I came home spiritually. I came home physically, too. And when a younger brother has an experience like that, when a younger brother goes off, rebels, and then comes home to God, and he repents. He leaves it all out there. He recognizes he's in the wrong and completely lays himself down on the altar and says, look, I'm unworthy, God. 
I acknowledge that I'm fully lost. I acknowledge that I'm fully unworthy, and I'm just not worthy of grace. And he's not expecting anything in return. But then what he's met with was this unconditional love and mercy from the Father. But in this parable, the older brother's missing the point. He, he's not getting the full picture. You know, when, when, when I first was met with the idea that I could be like an older brother too, A, it blew my mind, and then B, I was totally repulsed by it because the older brother's like a Pharisee. You know, it's, it's, that's the bad guy. That's the bad guy in the story. I'm not like that. You know, it's, I've repented. I feel bad when I sin. I don't like it when I drift from God. It frustrates me beyond belief when I get into a spiritual valley, when, when I start to feel distant. But that's what older brothers do. We have to remember who Jesus is talking to in these parables. He's, he's really aiming a lot of this at these religious leaders, these people who don't even realize that they're lost. These are people who are self-reliant and self-sufficient and self-satisfied. When a Pharisee or when an older brother sins, they recognize it, they beat themselves up about it, and that's about it. They continue being flawed older brothers. Now, if, uh, if you've been reading the Prodigal God book in your small groups as well, Tim Keller says something along the lines of uh, sin and regret are just part of self-salvation. You know, we, we don't get to the root cause. It's not all on the table. An older brother uh, is a lot kind of like the Pharisee from, from Luke 18 when we have the, uh, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector when they both go to the temple to repent. And you've got this tax collector sitting there like not even willing to look up to heaven because he just feels so terrible and just so unworthy. And then you have the Pharisee here, looks at this guy and goes, I'm a sinner. I do bad things. But thank you, Father, that I'm not like this guy. I've got bad stuff, but look at all the good things I do too. And he misses the point. It, he justifies himself. You know, it, it's, it's almost like he's saying, that means it's good for something, right? I get to get something, right? You know, the older brother only surrenders just part of himself. And last week, Pastor Dave talked about the major issue of the older brother, the, the, the self-salvation factor. You know, the, and I think self-salvation is something that we just, we don't really talk enough about in the church. And We should. Because it's, it's so easy to identify rebellion. It's so easy to identify the younger brother. But self-salvation camouflages itself. It camouflages itself in religious piety, in doing the right thing and upholding the law and keeping all the rules, but for all of the wrong reasons. It doesn't look like lostness. You know, it's, it, this is persistent in, in not just here in, in, in the church, but in, in our world around us completely. And I'm really reminded of the, uh, the, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 that comes to Jesus and asks him, what do I need to do to get into heaven? He goes, teacher, what do I need to do to earn, to earn my way into heaven? What good deed? And I love Jesus' response because he's like, well, define good. You know, like, what is good? There's only one that's good. And obviously no one realizes that Jesus is talking about himself. Uh, but Jesus says, okay, you know, if we want to play ball, let's go there. Um, keep the commandments. Let's, let's start with that. And so the rich young man says, okay, check, cool. I, I followed those. Um, look how good I am. I've never killed anyone. I've never slept around. I've never stole anything. I've never testified falsely. I love my parents. I love my neighbors. Uh, we're all set here, I think. And I, I would love to think in, during this, when this is happening, he goes through that list and he's kind of expectantly waiting for Jesus to be like, okay, good job. Keep up the good work, pal, and we'll, we'll see you in heaven. Keep going. 
But what Jesus says next totally wrecks the young man's world. He says, I'm, I'm glad you're doing that stuff, but I need you to take it a step further. I need you to sell all of your possessions, get rid of all of your wealth, and give them to the poor. Do that, and then you'll be perfect, and then follow me, because your treasures are really in heaven. And we know the rich young guy walks away really sad because he had no intention of giving up his wealth. He just wanted to follow the rules. He, he wants to be in control. He, he's willing to be faithful, but he's not willing to be sacrificial. That's a huge difference. He didn't want to lay himself completely down. Rule following doesn't equate to salvation. Rule following by itself just leads to more lostness because there's no one rule that we can follow to get our salvation. I mean, God's law is there. God's perfect law is there to point us to the need for a perfect savior. We're not able to keep up with it. And, the, and this rich young ruler is really the, the perfect picture of this elder brother that Jesus is painting in our parable in Luke. And there's this really interesting dynamic between, you know, we have to remember that this parable is a set of three parables. And I got to preach on this about a month ago. And uh, if, 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 if you've been doing this study with your small group, uh, you've definitely come across this. He preached on this, and I don't, I don't want to be repetitive, but this really bears repeating because this is the point. This is the, the point where we start to pivot, you know, where we, when, when, when we look at the parable of the lost sheep, when we look at the parable of the lost coin, we have an object that's lost, and then upon realizing said object is lost, someone is dispatched to go find that object. We have the shepherd looking for the sheep, the woman looking for the coin. And they spare no expense to find it, you know, diligently looking for what is lost in the coin. The, the, the woman is lighting precious oil, trying to just do what it takes to find that coin and return it to the nine. But that aspect is missing in Jesus' third parable. We have a son that's lost. We have a father that runs out to meet him when he comes back. But the kid just has to come back on his own. There's, there's no search party dispatched. No one's going out to seek him out. And as we learned in, in this study, the role of the elder brother would have been to go out and search for his brother. You know, the reason that he received that two-thirds inheritance wasn't just luck of the draw, like, congratulations, you got born first, so you get more of my stuff. There's, there's things attached to that. There's responsibilities. He was responsible and tasked for keeping that family together. But that doesn't happen in Jesus' story. Instead of this good elder brother this younger brother gets a self-satisfied, self-centered, self-righteous Pharisee. And he's someone who's unwilling to use up any of his resources to seek out his lost brother because in his mind, this kid blew his chance. You know, why, why would the older brother waste his time, his energy, his money uh, to give his brother a second chance? And this is a second chance, mind you, that this, the elder brother, there's no guarantee that he's going to take it back. He could expend everything looking for this kid, finally find him, and then the kid could be like, I'm not coming home. It just doesn't seem like a smart investment. So with this parable, by now, you've probably been able to identify yourself as a character in, within the story. It's a big point of Jesus' parables. Jesus creates very relatable people in order for us not to just see characters and stories, but really to see ourselves. And chances are you probably see a little bit of yourself in both the elder brother and the younger brother. But regardless of what type of lostness we prescribe to, whether it's the younger brother, rebellious, running away type, or if it's the uh, self-centered, self-righteous, older brother type, we're all still lost. All are still lost. But God loves the lost. We, we know and we remember that. God loves the lost. And that's the point of these parables. And unlike the younger brother, 
in this story that Jesus is telling, we don't have a self-righteous Pharisee as an elder brother. This world, today, we have Jesus Christ as the true older brother. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Jesus runs in complete contrast to that of the older brother that he paints in this parable. You know, Jesus is willing to play the role of the seeker. And it's completely mind-boggling when, when we think that he would actually do this. Because the reason he paints the older brother this way in this story is, is one, he does it to open the Pharisees' eyes to, to their religious lostness, wrapped up in ritual and, and themselves. But two, it's to show how completely opposite he is to that. He runs in complete contrast to that. You know, hallelujah, that we, that we don't have anyone else playing the role of the elder brother. Otherwise, we'd simply just remain lost. Lost in our righteousness or lost in our rebellion. But Jesus, like the shepherd, or like, like the woman looking for the coin, man, he, he spares nothing looking for us. And we're not left in the wilderness. We're not left in our lostness. We're not lost and we're not left in our self-righteousness. Uh, back in January, Connor and I started a podcast for, uh, for the students in our ministry and uh, we, were tr- we were trying to figure out a way that we could reach kids during their incredibly crazy busy schedule. And we thought, man, it's, it's just not enough to say, hey, we've got these different events. Like, how can we get them when they actually have some free time? Because it's, it seems unfair to be like, hey, here's all of our events and here's our Bible studies. And if that doesn't line up, sorry. So we, we, we started recording these devotionals and they've kind of grown from there. And they've been a ton of fun to do. And... Uh, we, we, we just got done recording a series on uh, talking about our favorite worship songs and Christian songs and stuff, and we, we had an episode on, on the song Reckless Love. Is anyone familiar? If, yeah, we played the song, I like, okay, a little behind the curtain. I try not to, when, when I'm leading worship, I try not to play a song more than once a month, but I would totally play that song like every week. I, <laughs> I love that song. I love Reckless Love. So when, when, we, were, um, when we were doing our research for the song, we were really surprised to find out there was quite a bit of controversy attached with it. Like, entire congregations won't play the song. They boycott it because they don't like the, the, the uh, frame, or the frame, the term reckless to describe anything of God. People, people have gotten really upset with that. And so the guy that wrote the song, Corey Asbury, uh, wrote this really well-worded statement and, and posted it. And I just wanted to read a quick, uh, quick excerpt from, from this uh, response to, to the controversy of using the word reckless. He says this, when I use the phrase the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves in many ways is quite so. And what I mean is this, he is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, his own comfort, and his own well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike, and I might even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back to him and offer ourselves in return. That, that is the mindset of the true elder brother. The one who's going to spend whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reach the lost. You know, God loves the lost so much that he, that he bank, bankrupts heaven for us. You know, he gave up his one and only son on an off chance. There is no guarantee. There are so many people who openly reject that, and yet he still does that for them. Still. He does that so he can give us the salvation that this world so desperately needs. 
You know, he, he freely gives away what, the, the thing that he and only he rightfully earned. Older brothers, younger brothers, Jesus is coming to look for us. He is unsatisfied until we are found. And, and, and here's the beautiful part, too. We don't need to clean ourselves up. We don't have to make ourselves look nice for him. You know, when, when, when the younger brother comes back, he comes back from traveling in a faraway country feeding pigs. The kid's filthy. And the father still runs out to him. And same thing with the elder brother. The elder brother comes back in from working in the fields. Filthy, dirty, disgusting. He doesn't take a shower first and then talk with his dad. His dad runs right out to him. And his dad doesn't say, ugh, hit the showers, kid. No, he doesn't care. Bam, right there. We don't need to clean ourselves up to come, to come back to Jesus at all. So where do we start? What's the point of this? Other than just uplifting words. I think it starts with recognizing the cost. Taking a moment to realize exactly what Jesus, in the role of the true elder brother, did to reconcile us. And when we get that, and we're truly moved by that, and we turn everything over to him, our sins and our shortcomings, and just as importantly, our righteousness and our success, that's the life changer. We completely surrender ourselves. That's how we're transformed. You know, we, we, we begin to take on the attitude of Paul from, you know, the, what he talked about in, in Philippians 2 or in our gospel today. Love our enemies? What? That, that seems so countercultural and so difficult to do, but when we fully, fully submit ourselves of our righteousness and of our shortcomings, that's when that just starts to become easy. It becomes second nature. When we love God selflessly and turn uh, our control over to him, we destroy the root cause of the problem. And that root cause is mistrust. Because when we don't trust God in a certain aspect of our lives, we try to just hang on to it. And we do that, the younger brother did that by just running away and doing what he felt was good. The older brother does it by just following the rules and, and trying to control everything. But when we submit all of that stuff to God, we destroy that. Because it's, 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 it's scary, it's scary. There are parts in our lives where we're like, I don't know what God's going to do with this. And I'm really comfortable the way I'm working it. So I'm just going to, you know, I can I'm gonna admit when I've done my wrongs and things like that, but there's some things that I'm just, that's too close to my heart, Jesus. But when we give ourselves completely, that's when the transformation happens. That's when the root cause, that mistrust is destroyed. And it starts with confession. Confession of our sins and of our righteousness. Recognizing that, you know, God, there's areas in my life that I just, I, I don't want to give to you, but I, 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 you know, I think I'm doing a great job. And I'm worried you're going to tamper with it, and I'm sorry. You know, there's places I don't want you to control. I want control. And that's when the weight is lifted. That's when the light flip just clicks on. Suddenly what we do is a response to his reckless love. It doesn't become a chore or work or routine. You know, just coming here on, I mean, the very meaning of worship changes. Our salvation becomes a response to what Jesus has done because that's what all of this is all about. It's not just coming here and being like, this is what I do on Sundays. We come here to respond to the, to the amazing, reckless love of God, to say thank you so much, to, to submit ourselves again and again and again, to cry out, hallelujah, God is good. There's no attendance book in heaven. <laughs> you know, there's, there, there's simply by attending isn't going to get us in there. No. And it's then that Jesus' message just becomes radical and second nature in our lives. So what are we waiting for? You know, like, what are we afraid of? Let's celebrate. Let's respond to his goodness. Our true older brother has come and he's searched for us and he's found us. He's given up everything because of how important each and every one of us are to him. 
each and every one of us. So let's respond with submission and thanksgiving. Let's, let's respond with confession and praise. Let's with hope and with expectation for the good places that he's going to lead us. Let's do that by just rising and going to him in prayer now. Would you pray with me? Please stand. Father, we thank you so much that you were so good, and we are not. Uh, we're lost, God, and uh, we don't respond in the right ways, and sometimes we don't want to give ourselves over to you. Father, I just ask that you open our hearts, open our minds to those places that you're leading us, those things that we're hanging on to so desperately that we don't want to give up. Lord, we just submit ourselves to you because that's all we can do. We thank you for the price that your son has paid. We thank you for your love. And Father, we turn all this over to you now in Jesus' most precious name.